Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 42 of the DOS Game Club podcast. I'm Martijn, Tijn, on the forums, and I'm here to discuss the game Descent, which we played last March, I believe. Now, of course, I'm not going to talk about that alone. First of all, joining us as normal, it's our regular co-host, Florian. Hello. Hello. So, yeah, it's good to be back. Absolutely. I, I We really should catch up. So it feels like we're doing this every week now. <laughs> well, we, we also had this special episode, so... yeah. Yeah, we were running behind, so we decided let's record an extra episode. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Oh, well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, cool. Cool to have you on the show again. Now, of course, uh, there's lots of other people as well. First of all, it's Elias joining again. Hello. Hey, cool to have you back. Yeah. I think it wasn't long ago, was it? Uh, yeah, it was the Worms episode. Yeah, the Worms one. So that's like two episodes ago. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, I hope things are well since then. <laughs> they are, yeah. Nothing yeah, sort of. Serious. Yeah. There's also new people joining, two two new people, in fact. Uh, first of all, it's, let's uh, say, Rami. <laughs> Hi, how's it going? <laughs> hey, man. It, I was looking at the list and I saw the two names and I couldn't decide which one to do first. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you pronounced my name right, because not many people do that. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. What did they say? Like Rami or Rami or something like that. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't bother me, but okay. it's just nice that you did it. <laughs> uh, I, I took a guess, to be honest, but I was... I know one other guy called Rami, so I was just... Is it the flatten beer think, guy? Yeah, exactly. Oh, nice. Probably the most well-known Rami. <laughs> and and maybe the, 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 the actor guy. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. From the hacker, from the TV show. What's his name again? Rami... Ismail something? Oh, no, that's Ra- that's that's the Flamberg oh, guy. Oh, that's the Flamberg guy. <laughs> you know him very well, it seems. I, I, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Hey, but cool. Cool to have you on. Thank you. And also, newly joining another member, it's uh, Jonathan. Howdy. Hey, hello. And joining all the way from Alaska, I believe. That's right. Fairbanks, Alaska. That's really cool because we're really yeah. spanning the globe now with this call. 11 time zones. Yep. Yeah, it's 11 time zones. It's crazy. It's yeah, I was just saying before we recorded that if it were any further, it would be nearer, you know? Like, it's so far away, it's like the maximum possible distance. It's, uh, yeah, so that's that's really cool. Um, descent, right? Descent. Is what we're going to discuss. So, uh, I guess, prepare for descent, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs>
Let's let's start with who picked this game um, because I think it was you, Jonathan. It was. Yeah. So you put a, a suggestion up on our forums saying that hey, maybe we should check out the scent. Is there any particular reason why you chose this game? Well, it's it's my all-time favorite game. Oh. That is the one game that I, if I had to be alone on a desert island, I would say let me have Descent. Even uh, even though I don't play it as often as I probably should, but it is my favorite. Wow. And and has it been for a long time? I mean, have you been playing it since it came out or what happened? Um, I started playing it in 1996. Right. So I think I played the demo before then, but uh, I was a young teenager. I didn't have any money. So, But when the, the PlayStation came out, uh, that was one of the games in the store. I remember at Toys R Us when they were still kind of cool. And not out of business, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that was the first PlayStation game I ever bought. And I, I would say that it's it's a game that's like impacted like every area of my life ever since. Just like my obsession with three D graphics and programming and and all that that really comes, I think, from that particular game. Right, that's cool. So so did you play it on the PlayStation then? I did. I did play it on the PlayStation. And and I know this is terrible because this is the DOS Game Club. <laughs> but it is my favorite version of Descent. Just uh, uh, the, the graphics on the PlayStation were, uh, they had colored lighting and it, it is like the best experience. Hmm. But DOS is still pretty good too. I'm not going to knock DOS. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wise decision. <laughs> I love DOS. No, but oh, look, it, J- J- Jonathan just left the call. What happened? Oh, no. He's not there. <laughs> <laughs> no. Now we'll see what happens after the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no. But yeah, this game, it was released, um, it was like in the right at the start of the 3D craziness, I think. Like there was a big craze for 3D stuff in the 90s. And this game was really at the forefront of that. And I think I think it predates most 3D accelerator cards, doesn't it? So maybe that's one reason why it looks so much better on the on the PlayStation than it does on the PC. I, I think there are 3D accelerated versions, but I don't think when this game came out, a lot of people had those kind of cards installed already. That's my memory of it, at least. Yeah, the, the- the 3DFX Voodoo came out the next year. Yeah. So it's the same thing as with Wipeout, really. Exactly. So, so and, and, and just like with Wipeout, that game also looks better on the PlayStation, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of the same deal. And, well, another thing, too, is that um, when they ported it over, the, the graphics, even, even the hardware-accelerated descent graphics on the PC still didn't use colored lighting and stuff. So... Hmm. It's kind of ironic that it, it had to take till DXX Rebirth before people were able to incorporate some of that in, into the game. Right. Yeah, we'll definitely talk about that stuff uh, later on. But maybe maybe it's fun to make a little round of, of who, who played this and, and what their memories of the game were. So, 
I mean, Jonathan ba basically played it right from the start. Now, Rami, I'm guessing maybe you didn't play it when it came out, or did you? Um, when I was a kid, um, I was I'm I'm much younger. I'm like 1993 is when I was born. Yeah. So my dad had a my dad never upgraded his computer. So we had a 486 all the way until like the year 2000, <laughs> and I had all the the 3D classics like Doom and Wolfenstein and Duke Nukem. My dad did not care that I played them. Okay. But we also had the Descent 2 demo and the the demo of Descent 2 ran like crap on my 486, but it was it left an impression on me enough that I remembered it all those years later and then eventually like last year I built myself an old computer uh, with a Pentium processor and I played through the whole game of Descent 2 and Descent 1 and they're now like my favorite games. They're so much fun and so much like so satisfying to just fly around and just shoot all those enemies. Yeah, wow. So it's you only really played it properly like last year. Yep. That's right. That's amazing. I think a lot of people struggled actually back in the day when this game came out to get it running properly. The system requirements are pretty high, I think, for the time. I think you need a probably a Pentium to run this at a good speed. Oh, yeah. I think the box says you need the 386. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it says the 386, 33 megahertz, but that's definitely not going to work. I was surprised when I looked at that. I was like, yeah, I have a 386 and, I, and it can't even run Doom properly. Like, yeah. it's going to run Descent. Yeah, there's no way. <laughs> well, they call it minimum requirements for a reason. Yeah. That's right. So like, it runs, <laughs> it, it starts. It's playable. <laughs> yeah. You could get Descent 1 to run okay on a 486 as long as you had a math coprocessor. Uh, but Descent 2, that was definitely Pentium territory. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. When was Descent 2 even released? Didn't, didn't that come a bit later? It did come later, but it not, not as late as you might think. I think it was only one year later after the original game that uh, the sequel came out already. Yeah, 1996. Yeah. Well, I was born in 1996, so... Ah! <laughs> so I'm guessing you also didn't play it when it came out, Elias. No, I didn't play it when it came out. <laughs> as you were minus one year old. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't uh, available. No. <laughs> I played it on our PC. We got an old PC after our dad upgraded his PC and gave the old... And like the, this was already in the 2000s, so like old was sufficient hardware to run decent and uh, all those kinds of games, so... We got that to our own room with my brother and played a lot of decent and uh, all, all kinds of games. Um, but yeah, that's when I played the most of it. Awesome. Did you also play the PlayStation version? Because you played the Wipeout on the PlayStation, didn't you? Uh, I don't remember owning Descent on the PlayStation. Hmm. I think I've played it on, on an emulator later, like having a PS1 emulator on the PSP or something like that. That's where I might have played it, but not not really back in the day no right okay cool so you just played it on the old pc yeah yeah and it ran okay yeah i can't remember the specs of the machine but it definitely wasn't just dos so it had windows on it and right. all that kind of stuff so it was newer <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly cool how about you florian yeah did you play it before i did play it before and i must say this is one of the very important games of my computer gaming history i would say huh? um as, as a kid I, it was a couple of years after the game came out i visited a, a, a relative like um the, the husband of my mom's cousin or something mm -hmm. and uh, i saw this computer and said hey can i play and he said yeah sure go ahead play and um i think descent was actually the only game on it 
And I, I played it for a while. And I couldn't stop talking about how great this game was. Wow. And like a, like a year later or something, uh, he upgraded to a Pentium and he asked me if I wanted his 486 that he had at home and it still had the game on it. Awesome. And of course, I, I said, yeah, sure, give it. I, I'll take it. I'll take yeah. it. <laughs> and that, that was my upgrade from a 286 with monochrome graphics to a 486, 33 whopping megahertz, VGA, 8 megabytes RAM. That was Wow. That was my upgrade, all because of Descent. That's amazing. So this was like your first, well, not your first PC, but the other one was really behind the times, wasn't it? Yeah. But the 486, it was a bit behind the times as well. So I think the Pentium 133 or something was just state-of-the-art at that time when I got this 33 megahertz 486. But, but still a massive upgrade. I was still quite happy to get it. I mean, it had a slightly broken hard disk. I never got Windows 95 to install on it because uh, they were bad sectors and whatever. Hmm. But yeah, that was, was a great fun with that machine. Oh, that's... And actually, I, I, I just just a couple of weeks ago, I bought the exact same uh, mini tower case that this computer was in just to reconstruct this machine as far as I can recall it. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, wow. That's cool, man. So, yeah. I... I don't have a lot of memories of this game, but I definitely did play it because I think a lot of people who were into gaming in the 90s played this game, to be honest. Um, maybe maybe Jonathan can confirm this, but I, I just remember all the magazines being super hyped about this game. It was really a big title. Yeah, I think it had its popularity in there. Although I think uh, when Quake came out, it probably people were back to killing demons again. <laughs> uh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. But this there, there was a good couple of years between Doom and Quake. And this game really fit snug in that hole. And, and it was, you know, it was the craze, the 3D craze was was really at a at a peak, at a height. So yeah, this game just fit right in. And and I, I remember magazines being all over this game. Yeah, it makes sense. And I played it a little bit, but I I yeah. I mostly remember just being really confused, to be honest. <laughs> I don't remember if I played the shareware version or... I didn't own a box copy, that's for sure. But I don't know if it was the shareware version or some other version. I don't know. But yeah, I mostly remember starting it and then getting really confused and lost and and ending up upside down everywhere and, and just, yeah, messing up. So I don't have like these fond memories of playing it. I, I do remember just wanting to check it out because everyone was mentioning how cool this game was. But then when I actually tried it, I was like, whoa, this is kind of complicated, actually. <laughs> so, yeah. And then, I, I don't know, I, I played other shooters. I played stuff like Duke Nukem 3D and just more simple stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm a simple person, guys. <laughs> I can't handle the six degrees of freedom. That's too much. <laughs> too much freedom. <laughs> I think very, very few people can properly handle them. Yeah. Um, I mentioned Six Degrees of Freedom. That's, that's sort of the thing with this game, isn't it? I mean, if we have to explain this game a little bit to listeners who might not be fully aware of this game or, or haven't played it themselves. I mean, it's basically a first-person shooter, but then the first thing that really sets it apart is the fact that you're in this little ship, right? So it plays really quite differently than most other shooters, I would say. Yeah, it's more a flying game than a shooter game in that sense. Mm -hmm. 
but it's it's also very different from from a flight simulator. I mean, in yeah, a flight yeah. simulator, you have like uh, what is it, one, two, three, four degrees of freedom, but in this game, you have six. So, um, in addition to the um, normal uh, degrees of freedom that you have in the flight simulator, you can also move your plane directly upside, uh, upwards, and downwards, and to the left and to the right, which Make, makes it quite confusing. I have to agree with Martin there. <laughs> yeah, that messes up the direction of up. So mm-hmm. you don't know which way is up in the maps. There's no up. Yeah. <laughs> Everywhere is up. <laughs> it's all up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it becomes problematic the more maze like the, the levels get to because uh, suddenly you are up and down and then you're not anymore mm-hmm. you know, just by going to a different room. Right. Unlike Doom, it's like you have up and down axes, so you're going up into like tunnels that are in the roof and tunnels that are in the ground. So it's like yeah, and the auto map is a complete mess that's <laughs> not easy to make up. Yeah, yeah, but they kind of have to. I mean, the the auto map in this game is is 3D as well. Everything is 3D, really. There's not really a way to do it else, like in another way, is there? I mean, yeah, yeah, you kind of have to show all the different axes because that's just how the map is yeah so so yeah yeah you control this small spaceship and it's really it's really quite claustrophobic i would say it's like all tunnels isn't it there's no real wide open spaces or anything well there are a few places that are a bit more open but that's basically a technical limitation of the game engine i guess we can talk about that later in the Mm -hmm. appropriate section (laughs) It's it's also asking for a big slowdown on your computer because mm. they'll they'll likely put a lot of robots in that particular room, <laughs> which can cause this the frame rate to, to totally stutter. So yeah. I think it it's almost a limitation of the original game on the hardware that you'd have to have these closed spaces for it to the for the, the technology to right. be efficient enough. Yeah, that makes sense. On the other hand, it's pretty well suited for the theme of the game. So you will be in the, in the tunnels when you're flying into the mines and whatnot. Hmm. But I, I wonder if if well, which came first? I, I mean, don't know. Did they have this limitation in the engine, and then hey, let's let's just make it about tunnels, or did they say, oh, let's make it about tunnels? Maybe this this easy kind of engine is is good enough. I think it, it's the first way around. They noticed we can't make big spaces. What are small spaces? Oh, tunnels. Yeah, probably and mines. <laughs> so. <laughs> I cannot imagine that this game started with the story. I mean, there's no. there's just no way. No. <laughs> uh, maybe it's good to, to go over the story a little bit. Although, actually, it's not really well explained in the game, I feel. I mean, there's a short intro sequence where there's a guy in a suit uh, across you, right? And he's addressing you, basically briefing you on, on the mission at hand. And um, he's an executive from the Post-Terran Mining Corporation, the PTMS, PTMC, I mean. And he basically tells you that there's a a computer virus going around, right? They have various off-world mining operations all across the solar system. And something has gone haywire and uh, the robots inside the facilities are malfunctioning and, and you are sent in to... Well, basically to destroy everything, that's really what you're there for. Although you can you can save people as well, can't you? Yeah. But where are those people going? Like <laughs> that's my one weird thing of the story is like you're you're saving the people that are in the mines, but then you just fly into the next mine. Like <laughs> what happens yeah. before? I guess we can assume they are 
transport to some, transport it's, yeah, yeah exactly. transport it to safety, but that that's never shown. But also, they're they're called hostages in the game. I wonder if the <laughs> yeah, robots <but> actually <laughs> keep them as hostages or if they. Uh. Yeah, well, if it's rogue uh, robots that are have gone haywire, then hostages are probably the right them term for them. But well, well, who knows? In the newer versions, like the the same team made a new game just like two years ago. With the same kind of idea. Yeah, overload. Overload, yeah. And in there, they are scientists and whatnot. So maybe they tried to fix it there. Yeah. I think in this game, they're employees of the mining corporation as well, right? Yeah. The corporation is keeping them hostage. That's <laughs> Yeah, or that's the robots. Their... Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was guessing the robots kept them there. Yeah. Or something. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. It doesn't really matter, does it? No. It's a 90 shooter. Who cares? <laughs> it's also the, the story is a bit is a bit weird as far as I understand it. You're there and you have to destroy all those mines because they are afraid the computer virus might reach Earth and infect computers there. But I don't think a mining corporation would care about that, would they? They are destroying all their mines, all their assets, all their money. Yeah. So. <laughs> Seems like a last resort kind of thing. Definitely. Yeah. They're they're quite desperate. That's that's obvious. Yeah. Um, so basically, the whole flow of the game is that you uh, are sent to a mine, and each mine is is further into the solar system, sort of. Yeah. Although you start at the Earth or at the Moon, and then first you go to nearby planets, and eventually you move outward, outward like to Pluto. I, I think the game ends there. Yes. And well, basically, it's the same flow over and over, isn't it? It's like you're sent to a mine, which is a new level, and you have to go in and find the reactor, right? That's the, the same goal in every map. And it's a little repetitive, too, because it's a case of, okay, go in the level, find the blue key, then find the blue door, then find the yellow key, then find the yellow door, then find the red key, then find the red door, then blow up the reactor, and hopefully you found the exit before you blew the reactor up. <laughs> yep. But it's, I mean, that's good old gameplay that, that worked in, in Wolfenstein. It worked in Doom. Why shouldn't it work in Descent? Yeah. And I think I think it can work again. <laughs> that's that's why they made Descent 2. <laughs> exactly. And finding the exit is actually really important. You learn that quite early on because mm-hmm. I think everyone's first attempt is is just destroying the reactor when you find it and then learning that actually you have to escape too. <laughs> and then, <laughs> well, if you don't know where you're going, then it turns out these levels are really quite maze-like, aren't they? Yes, it, it can be really frustrating. You you made all your way to the reactor. You actually, you, you took note where the exit is, then you destroy the reactor, and then you're lost and you cannot find the exit anymore. Yeah. And then there's this countdown of, I think, 30 seconds or something. Mm-hmm. I think it's 60. Depends on the level, I think. It decreases uh, further on in the game. Ah, yeah. Mm. That's what I remember. Right. It's really the most, most frustrating thing in the game. I don't know if it changes with the difficulty level either. Might might do. Because there are there are like five difficulty levels or something, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. This game is hard. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, it might be tempting to go for for one or the one of the higher difficulty levels, but honestly, well, I'm kind of terrible at these games anyway, so I'm I'm never that tempted to be honest. <laughs> but I, I'm usually quite quite good at at first person shooters, but this game, I think I played it on rookie and still had my problems with the first boss fight. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really pretty insane. I think they also took pride in that, though. I think it's really on purpose that they made this game really hard because. Yeah, it's like a tough 90s thing, right? It's like, yeah, we're real men. We're being able to beat this game, yeah. 
<laughs> there's definitely some some of that in there. Yeah, there was a there was a guy that I watched on YouTube. He was doing Ega uh, esports, and he was uh, I think he was playing for Descent Two, and uh, the guy could play. I was like, okay, I have a few things to learn. <laughs> so, some people have taken this to the next level. Yeah. There's always those people. It's kind of cool that this it's still sort of alive, though, interest in this game. I mean, it could have easily been forgotten, but I feel it's still cherished by a lot of people. So I really love it. Yeah. It's, it's unique, right? It has a few unique selling points, hmm. and um, they, they haven't been copied very often. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there are like a million, uh, let's call them normal first-person shooters, but those six degrees of freedom, there are probably three, four, hmm. maybe five. Yeah, and I, I think one reason might be that level design is really hard. You have to be good at level design to be able to make a proper six degree of freedom game mm-hmm. because otherwise <laughs> no, it's not playable. Whereas with more normal shooters, it's just like placing buildings and stuff like that and having the player just move around there normally. You don't have to think about the like movement yeah. so much. Not placing doors in the roof and stuff like that. That's, yeah. Yeah. This game has 30 levels. That's what I read anyway, because I only got to like level five or something. (laughs) Because then, well, there's new enemies being introduced in every level, right? Yeah. At the beginning. Yeah. And well, at one point, I don't know. I just, I saw, I I basically saw the guy and then that's that's it. I was dead. (laughs) So. Rulers, I assume. I don't know the names of the enemies, to be honest, but... Yeah, there's there's one kind of enemy that just insta kills you <laughs> when you come across it. There's a few, and like level four introduces the the lifter, which like scratches the plane. Level five introduces the Red Hulk with the homing missile, mm. and then level six is the one with the, the hit scanner, the light driller, and and that I think is the worst enemy in the game. Right? Yeah, I I think the Red Hulk actually is the most terrifying enemy in the game uh, because. You go around the corner and then you hear the the homing missile warning lights go on and you're like, oh shoot, where is it? <laughs> yeah, that's 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 harder than the heat scan. The heat scan, if if you just like see the enemy, then it can fire at you. Then if you know where they are, then they aren't that bad. But then the homing missile things are just like, oh shit. Yeah. And because this the control schemes are the way they are. It's re- really hard to like try and or- orient the plane so that you can mess with the missile. Yeah, can, can someone probably um, like like give a short introduction about all the enemy types that are there? Maybe not not every enemy, but you know there <laughs> are several categories of enemies. Can someone summar- summarize them for us? Actually, I have a, I have a website up. Oh, nice. It's got it's got pictures of them, so this would be easier. <laughs> There's uh, there, so I'm not like. I'm, not just like, oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have to memorize on the top of your head. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you got the drones that you see in the beginning of the game, and uh, those are like the even the easy easy ones, like the the blue one and the, and the orange one, and uh, and then you got the hulks, which are small, medium, and you have the red one. So the difference between those is the uh, small Hulk shoots lasers at you, medium Hulk shoots the concussion missiles at you. And even though it says it's a high threat, I never felt that they were, I mean, the, the missiles are dumb, so it's easy to avoid what they're sending at you. Um, you got the lifters. Those actually can be pretty dangerous. And there's, uh, I forget which level they were in, but they're all over the place. Those are the, the green the green lifters. And there's a cloaked one, which 
those are also kind of um, terrifying when you come because you 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 almost can't see them. At least on the PlayStation, they did a pretty good job. Like you can see the cloak effect on it, but it's uh, it's very subtle. Um, and then the the Red Hulk's the one with the the homing missiles. Hmm. That one's just um, pretty crazy. Yeah, and then you get the dr- the the driller. So that's that's that uh, kind of brown and gray one. Yeah, and shoots the Vulcan cannon at you. So those are pretty dangerous too. But you can kind of sneak up on them, and if they don't notice you, then you can kind of take them out pretty quick. Oh, there's this spider one. So it's this red one that uh, they're kind of annoying. They're not very difficult to to destroy, but they launch all the little baby spider ones afterwards. So then you're just trying to like get rid of them. That also is actually a good recipe for a slow a slow frame rate, mm-hmm. which just adds which just adds to the uh, the drama of the game. I think you know when when <laughs> when the game is just like one frame per second for a little bit as you're trying to destroy all this stuff. It, it can be difficult to know what you're even doing. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, I'm gonna skip the bosses, but the probably the most uh, iconic one is is the advanced lift. That's the red one. That's mm-hmm. the one that's all over the front manual. It's got the the four arms, and uh, ironically, that one looks better in the picture on the front of the manual than it does in the game. But it's still pretty cool. I, I like. <laughs> I love the box art. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the box art is pretty pretty awesome. Um, and then you have a lot of different like hulks. Basically, they use that design a lot. It seems, um, and those ones shoot missiles. These are definitely things you see. Oh, the plasma driller. That one was pretty um, difficult. Uh, that one just. Because it can shoot pretty fast, and you got uh, oh, you got you got a few others, a few mm-hmm. other uh, like um, they're called the platform robots, and these ones are they can. I, it's hard to it's hard to remember how difficult they were because they're towards the end of the game, and so if you're just starting over and over at the beginning of the game, then you don't see them as often. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, they they do have a, a cloaked Vulcan which can fire at you. That one actually is pretty difficult because uh, you don't see what's firing at you. Yeah, yeah. the game seems to really ramp up in difficulty after the first bunch of levels. Like the first few levels, I felt they were all right. But yeah, level five, six, seven is really already... Well, seven is the boss one, right? That's the first boss, I think. Mm -hmm. I think that's also the the shareware version, right? Those first seven levels. Yeah. Yeah, and then it just says you'll have to buy the full full game if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. But then the rest, well, like if you actually buy it, the rest is just super hard. It's like insane. <laughs> so, well, I actually I thought the difficulty wasn't too bad until I got to level seven and uh, got to the point where the boss fight happened. Hmm. That was I I, I I don't know. I tried it for two or three hours. Then I decided to cheat, uh-huh. <laughs> in, in, in vulnerability cheat, and then I quit playing. Ah. Uh. <laughs> I liked that as a kid, actually. I, I, I remember playing most games as a kid, like with God mode or an unlimited ammo, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, sure. But but now as an adult, I mm. think it kind of lacks in um, <laughs> excitement. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. But yeah, I think I think the typical experience is, oh, this game is is kind of cool. I'll I'll buy it, and then the rest of the content is like, what? You'll you'll never get through it. It's like <laughs> this is insane. It's a classic shareware formula, really. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, you are free to use the save function pretty much anywhere. So hmm. you can inch your way across the levels if you want to. Right. 
I think you meant required to use. Not free. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, required in the later levels. But yeah, there's no way I could get through it without saving. <laughs> no, and I mean, like really frequently, like you can spam any enemy you click kill, and then just hitting save and coming back. That yeah, it's also obvious that that's not what the developers intended. No, because no. you you die, you have like a like five lives or uh, something like that, and all your your power ups are then in the place where you died. So yeah, yeah. they 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 thought you'd play this without saves coming. Yep. I do like the death system this game has a lot more than Doom's. It's a lot more forgiving because you can actually collect your stuff back. Hmm. That's a good point. So like if you're really low on health, a good method would be to just go to the start of the level and then kill yourself and then all your like equipment is going to be right there where you spawn. Yeah. I've used this strategy before. Yeah, that definitely works. Hmm. Um uh, I know on the PlayStation, like the the saves on the PC are you can put them as save whenever you want, but because uh, I was I was poor, I couldn't afford a memory card. So instead, yeah. so instead of a, but they they had people in, like me in mind, so they have a password system. So you have to enter this like twenty character password system, <laughs> and with a D pad. It was like with letters. Congratulations! And stuff. Uh, but the, the funny thing was is that. If your handwriting is bad and you accidentally <laughs> miswrote your password, <laughs> yeah, then then you're like, yeah, trying to guess which one did I get wrong? Is that an I? <laughs> is that an L? Was yeah. it capitalized? Yes. Maybe it's a one. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. So yeah, we, we actually, uh, my brother and I played it a lot when we were, and, but we we've actually never beat the game. We got to the last level and we got destroyed. Um, oh wow! And the so past, close, so close, and uh, but yeah, the and, and because of that, the the password we had was was not we didn't have enough to get through. Like it was, we basically saved in, a, in an unbeatable position. <laughs> so uh, we, we yeah. tried, we tried, but uh, um, yeah, you, we'd have to resort to things like using the fusion cannon, which I think we'll talk about later. But that that's a good recipe to kill yourself too. <laughs> Maybe we can just talk about that now because uh, why? How how come um, your save was in an unwinnable state? Like, was you, were you low on on energy or what was up? Oh, I think it it was the case. You start with uh, and you automatically start with a hundred um a hundred health right and a hundred energy. So that's nice. But yeah, uh, I think it was partially skill. Like if you're used to just kind of battering your way through a level and and hopefully you survive. Um, but when you come back and you have like one life left or something yeah, and you haven't cleared the majority of the bad robots out of there, then it, it can be extremely difficult. Right. You mentioned the, uh, plasma cannon, I think, or which one was it? The fusion the, cannon. Oh, the yes. fusion cannon. That's one of the primary weapons, I think, right? Because the, the, all the weapons are split up into categories, sort of. Yes. It's one of the primary weapons. So that's like lasers, cannons, that sort of stuff. Uh-huh. So, yeah, you basically start with a normal laser, right? That's correct. <laughs> and what what's the rest? Um, so lasers, right? You can have like four levels of lasers and there's the quad upgrade. And uh, they they obviously don't use so much power. I think they use a little bit more once you've upgraded the full way, which I think the lasers and the plasma cannon are the best ones. Um, but uh yeah, so you can you can shoot you can shoot lots with those and not drain your energy too bad. <laughs> uh, then you got the cannons. So that's like the Vulcan cannons. And so it's like the machine gun. And I guess it's fast, but uh, I, I never really cared for it as much. Um, and, uh, but I mean, it, 
it's I use cannons when I, I ran out of energy. That's that's why I save the cannons mm. because if you do run out of energy shooting your lasers, then uh, at least you have a backup. And then the spread cannon that one's actually kind of nice if you're trying to shoot enemies through a corridor that you can't right. see because you know they'll kind of just spread out a little bit. And the plasma cannon is probably my favorite, although it uses a lot of energy, but it seems to be really powerful. Yeah, yeah. And then that fusion cannon, that one's probably the yeah. That's my least favorite weapon because what happens is as you're charging, or when you shoot it, it pushes your ship around. So you could have been aiming, and now your aim is is gone after you shoot this thing. And if you're charging it up, you know, if you charge it up too much, it'll like go off on you. And uh, or if you hit the wall or enemy that's too close then what'll happen is you'll damage yourself. And that's what happened to us in that last level is you lose all your stuff in the middle of the level and you're trying to find it. Right. You, you have to get a fusion cannon to, you know, be competitive. And, th- and then that's just like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's like giving a, a child like a super big double-barreled rifle or something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's all... It, it's felt really... I was in a, a state of constant panic when playing this. I don't know about you guys, but I mean, the the combination of all the freedom of movement and being lost all the time and getting hit from all sides and also these all these crazy weapons, I, I don't know. I found it all really hard to manage, to be honest. I don't know. Uh, you, you guys probably have more skills than I do. <laughs> I think I played it quite like calmly, like going forward pretty slow and then... Making sure everything's taken up, every enemy is killed before moving onward, and right. so it, I took the long, long way around mm. going through the levels. So it wasn't that panicky because I was always like in the know of what's happening. Yeah, and when you know the general gist of you, just like how the levels are structured, is pretty simple. Like you know, like you said, uh, you just find the key cards and the reactor, and they got like find the exit before you blow up the re- reactor and then just fly away. So I just spent time learning the levels and the layouts and uh, working that way. So it wasn't really that panicky. Almost, I mean, obviously there's places where you'll just be swarmed by enemies and like you can't do much, but like scramble in fear. But then that's like, I mean, then then that will make a mental note in my mm. head and I know what's coming the next time. So... Yeah, you can probably play this game really slow, and then yeah. it's more like a tactical thing. Uh, to me, it, it comes across more like an arcade game, though. It's like it wants you to it kinda, just... Yeah, it kind of cu- makes you want to play fast, because you can yeah. fly really quickly, you can move around really, like, really actively and that kind of stuff. But then, really, you benefit a lot of like just playing slow, keeping it like collected. Mm. Sometimes the soundtrack hinders that though, because oh, yeah. uh, like I know the, the PlayStation one had like this crazy techno industrial sound, and it, even the even the the PC some was pretty good. But you have the sound turned up, which I like to turn the, the music up, and, and hmm. that does kind of like you should be playing it slower, but the music doesn't help you. No, not at all. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna yeah, go in there exactly. like Rambo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, great soundtrack, yeah. definitely. It is a cool soundtrack. Um, we have a clip actually, so we'll we'll play that later. But uh, yeah, it's it's typical '90s, you know, thumping beats and and yeah, it, it. I don't know. It to me, the game felt like it wanted me to move fast, even though that's maybe not the wisest 
way to play. I mean, not 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 at first, at least. Like you watch the guys who yeah. can really play the game; they'll just blaze through the levels. Sure. And I mean, I think I I can blaze through the f- first few levels myself pretty quickly. But then that's just me knowing the level. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, once the light drillers show up, I need to peek around corners like every yeah. <laughs> Every corner, yeah, basically turns into sort of a stealth game where you're like, <laughs> yeah, going really stealthily through the mine, trying to peek around corners. Yeah, yeah, and actually, there's uh, I can't remember if this was in the first descent or just the second one, but don't you have a like uh, headlights you can turn on and off in your ship? Descent two has that. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that made it more into a like stealth game because you could really hide from the enemies. Yeah, Descent 2 had also like lights that you could shoot out and the room would get darker, which was really yeah, cool. Yeah. Which was where those lights came into play. Wow. That is really cool for a 90s game. Yeah. Yeah, Descent 2 really took the the tech um to the next level. Yeah, the AI too is was also they I think um Descent 1 you can play as a stealth game if you want to, but Descent 2 they added things like yeah. the thief bot and other things that really keep you from staying in one spot for too oh, long. Oh yeah, that yeah. thief fucking <laughs> You, you, you think the same way I do too. That that's got to be one of the most evil robots. That bastards. Like, yeah, that's 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 one guy I'd yeah. kill. I immediately. prioritize him right at the start See, of every level. Up on, yes. Yeah. Like, come here, you bastard! I know. <laughs> I won't move. And it moves really fast, and it seems yeah. to know those mines better than you do. It's uh... yep. And he'll steal anything from you. Like, uh, I think it's so. My afterburner at one point. And I was like, what? <laughs> what now? <laughs> yeah, it always steals my quad lasers and my afterburner. That seems to be the top priorities. Yeah. yeah, That's that's kind of unique, though. I mean, there aren't a lot of shooters where the enemies just take your stuff while you're still playing. Yeah, and troll you, basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I only remember Rise of the Triad had um, dimming lights and enemies that would steal from you. But that game was limit, like severely limited engine, so that, that was they went all out with all the other things. But Descent Two really just has all of it. It's got so many amazing features, like yeah, that other games did not have. Yeah, even even games that are are coming out now, they talk about uh, real time global illumination, everything. You know, Descent Two and, and Descent were early kind of doing, especially Descent Two, being able to shoot the lights out, and and the whole everything's just dark. Yeah, you know. Uh, it can work against you, <laughs> but it, it is pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. We quickly went through the primary uh, weapons, but there's secondary weapons as well. Um, and they're basically all either missiles or bombs, right? Mines, I should say. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know if they're really that special or, or worthy to to all. Well, they, they are your gun and variety missiles and uh, mines, nothing too special. Uh, I think the this was this is again this and two thing. I think it added added a controllables missile oh. that you could uh, you could actually control it yourself. Like you shoot it and then turn it around corners and whatnot. Yeah, the guided missile. And, but that's not in this one. No, although there is a smart missile, right? There is, and it, it, it uh, when it blows up, then you get the same kind of plasma that comes out of the plasma cannon. Will um, I don't remember if it chases the enemies, but it it'll it'll try and follow the enemies. Yeah, and there's a homing missile as well. Yes, that's 
uh, most useful weapon of missile in the game, especially against the red Hulk. Yeah. Because you can, that's one cool thing I liked is uh, you could fire that thing around the corner and then you'll see the missile bend oh, yeah. <laughs> as it pursues the weapon. So that was my, that's my tool against the red Hulk. Right. Did the Descent 1 also have the missile cam? Because I thought that was cool. No. No, it, that was in Descent 2. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's in Descent 2, yeah. Right. Wow. Another good thing about the homing missiles is that they are also quite easy to get. There are lots of them in the in the in most of the levels that I played at least. So I don't know about later levels, but in the beginning, yeah, there are lots of them. So yeah, and most enemies drop them too. You know, with with most um, shooters, it's like when you get grenades or something. I'm like, ah, oh, don't use the grenades. Maybe I'll need them later on. Mm. But with those homing missiles, I was like, ah, oh, you have them. I'll use them. <laughs> That's quite good. That's cool. There's someone listed the mega missile in our document, and they wrote "stand back." Yeah. <laughs> so, well, <laughs> I'm guessing this one blows half the mine up. Not really <laughs> close, but yeah, close. it's a huge explosion. Yeah, yeah, big explosion, and it can and it uh, can cause a lot of damage to yourself as well if you're not. Yeah, it's good too. for bosses. I would save it for bosses. Right. Yeah. Or if you're really desperate. <laughs> <laughs> There's one moment I use it only, and it's whenever you're in the middle of those like purple enemy spawners and then i just leave the room and shoot a mega missile in that direction right to clear it out so that the next time i go through it's not crowded the the spawners they are they are quite annoying aren't they yeah Um, with with most shooters once you clear a room it's clear but the spawners they they spawn lots and lots of enemies and do they ever stop uh, by the way uh i think there's spawners that you can destroy but then there's also spawners that don't like you can't do anything about them; they'll just keep spamming enemies. Yeah, and they do. They limit the um, maximum number of of enemies. At- yeah, they they limit the uh, maximum number of ah, live enemies. Okay. I think so. That's something you, you know. They'll they'll just yeah. They'll just uh, keep five enemies per per spawner like ah. alive, and then if if you kill them, then they'll just spawn new ones. Yeah. So because <laughs> at, at times it felt like there were twenty enemies chasing me through those spawners. Yep. <laughs> But what's annoying, though, is that you can't really clear the mine because of that. I mean, you can't just first wipe out all the enemies and then quietly map the way out from the reactor. You can't really 100% the game this way. Yeah, it's always a bit annoying when there's enemies spawning even after you kill them. But at least it's sort of fair that that the spawner is visible. I mean, most games have them like invisible, just popping out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's. I, th- I don't think there's any spawning in this game that like just happens. Mm. Like whenever you start a level, there's the enemies that are there, and then the spawners that will spawn enemies, and that's that's it. Yeah. So, it, uh, although it, the sometimes the the doors they'll have activated doors that open, and there'll be and there'll be robots hidden there. So oh yeah uh, yeah that's but, but they those are also like just doors that open to a little box that was filled with enemies before it was already filled with those enemies but you it just like opens up but that's fair i think and that's that's also something that doom already did so yeah it's not that's fair not too far out yeah Yeah. monster closets (laughs) um i read i didn't do this myself but maybe one of you did but i read that you can actually record your playthrough and then watch it back later yep is that true? I did, didn't do it, but I think I tried around, like played around with it a bit. But yeah, you can you can press a button and it'll record, and then st- stopping the recording and playing those back. But I can't remember if you could save those. I believe that's how they recorded the demos, like, if, like hmm. on the title screen when it like if you sit there and it goes to a demo. Right. Yeah. 
maybe that's why it's in the game at all, because they needed it for the demo, and then they figured, well, might as well expose it to the player. Yeah. It's it's kind of an odd feature, though. I don't remember many other shooters from the time having this. Maybe maybe I just maybe they did. I don't know. Doom, Quake. <laughs> yeah, Quake had it. I think um, Quake's later. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, I think did. Uh, we can't can't you record demos with Doom as well? I don't know. I think you can. Maybe you can. Um, I'm not a Doom Doom expert, but I th- no. think you can. <laughs> okay. Well. Yeah, I think the only issue with with and I never use it very often on DOS. Just I think because. If your hard drive isn't exactly fast, and and uh, mm. then I, I I can't remember if it causes a little bit of thrashing going and stuff yeah. going on or or not. But then then maybe I just wasn't good enough, and I thought, well, this looks horrible. <laughs> Let's never do this again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I think. Well, I I wanted to say I think the focus of this game is on the single player campaign, although. Actually, multiplayer is a big part of the game as well. I'm not sure if if it was really... I think at LAN parties and stuff, I think this was pretty popular. Yeah, it is. Especially Descent 2, I think. And it's pretty fun. Yeah. Oh, man. It must have been so fun. I really regret missing out on Descent multiplayer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, We we tried it. Yeah. We tried it uh, with a few people um, with um, DX Rebirth. It's 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 okay. I mean, it's it's like they do the same thing that they did in in Doom, where you are actually just playing the single player levels, and you can even uh, destroy the reactor at least. <laughs> <laughs> so I was was a bit weird. I, I played against uh, against someone, and we both didn't know what to do. And and suddenly it says, "Hey, reactor destroyed. Uh, escape now. T minus thirty seconds." <laughs> I was like, "What? We haven't even seen each other yet." <laughs> because ap- apparently he spawned right in the reactor room. Uh, so oh, right. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's basically the same. And I think you can also play the game co-op, right? Like you can just play the normal campaign, but with a buddy. That's kind of cool. I always like it when when games have that. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah. But uh, the deathmatch is basically just, yeah, what you said, Florian. It's it's like Doom. It's like the normal levels. There are no special deathmatch levels in Descent, are there? No. No. It's called Anarchy, by the way. That's kind of interesting. I mean, it is just deathmatch, but it's called anarchy. Did 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 so. the term deathmatch exist already? I think they did. They call it that in Doom already. I don't think so. Uh, maybe not. Maybe the term wasn't as solid as it is now. Probably not. Yeah, and you can play in teams as well. So that's that's kind of fun. You can play either just normal deathmatch or team deathmatch, and I believe you can also turn the robots on on or off. So you can have bots in the game or not. Yeah, I don't know about the original Descent because we only played um, D1X Rebirth um, over the internet. And there are tons of options. You can set options for everything in that game. Right. So I assume that at least part of those options should be there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Rebirth adds quite a bit of stuff. And it kind of mixes the uh, one and two features as well. Ah. Like I I remember they said one, like the DX1 Rebirth having those lighting stuff and you could shoot the lights in the X1 as well. Mm. But that's just like, that wasn't a feature in the original one. Right. But they've combined those. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should explain a little bit that, that DX Rebirth, that's um, a modern re-implementation of the game, right? Yep. Is it a re-implementation? I, I thought it was a source port. Didn't they like, oh, get the sources somehow? Oh, I don't know, actually. I... Uh, 
Yeah. But either way, it's a modern way to play the game. It says it's a, it's a source port. So okay. yeah, okay. they used the original source code for that. Right. Yeah, we've had this for other games as well, where you load the original assets in, and then you have this modern environment with extra options and stuff. Yeah. And also other controls, I, I think. Although, uh, I played the game on keyboard, which That's is good. probably the worst game way to play this game. <laughs> I play it with a keyboard and mouse. So Yeah, me too. Keyboard and mouse. Yeah. You don't need Rebirth for that, right? No. The, the original game also supports that. Yeah, the original two games had that. Yeah, so that's cool. I actually thought, um, like, I'd use my, my PlayStation controllers um, because I thought, hey, dual, dual analog sticks, that makes a lot of sense for, for a 3D environment. Hmm. But then um, for the multiplayer part, that yeah. it, uh, more recently, I actually used keyboard and mouse and suddenly the game was so much easier. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's probably more precise. There's like WASD, you can use that. But then I use Q and E to roll and then R and F to go up and down. And it's basically like a classic first-person shooter with a few extra controls. Mm-hmm. Yep, right. And aim, aiming is just for mouse. I mean, you're just mm-hmm. rotating your ship with the mouse like you'd aim in any other game. So, Though yep. they, uh, one, one thing that I never got really used to with the mouse is they, they limit the maximum rate of rotation, yes, right? Yes. So it's more like a flight sim in that, in that regard. And that, that was a bit weird to get used to when you're used to actual modern FPS games. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You have to learn how to strafe. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the way to, like, on the, because I, the PlayStation, you know, if you do the PlayStation, you want to have something as you can strafe left and strafe right. And then you don't need quite as uh, rapid of a change in angle in order to move around enemies. Yeah, <laughs> strafing is the key. Yeah, It's the key to all shooters, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, did we forget anything? I mean, we sort of went over the whole game. Um, say, I don't know if we mentioned secret levels. There was a hmm. few secret levels in there. Um, although they were pretty hard to find. Yeah, I never found them. Uh, I found one of them <laughs> when I played the game. <laughs> that, otherwise, I'd have to cheat and look up. Apparently, there are three I, I read somewhere, but you get to them uh, through an alternative exit at the, at the end of a normal level, right? That's correct. You'll, they'll have two exits in there, and um, sometimes you'll just find it accidentally. And, uh, and you're like, oh, okay, make sure I go to that one. <laughs> yeah. But I think they make it more risky to, to get to that particular one. Like it'll, hmm. it might be a little bit longer of a travel, and then you don't know if you want to do that or not. Well, there's enemies in the way. Right. Yeah. I think it's cool that these secrets are actually secret in that game because in, in newer games, the secrets are like, uh, yeah, secret with big quotation marks around them. <laughs> like I, I recently played uh, Doom Eternal and you get a list of all the secrets that are there and you, it actually points you to them. So that's not really secret anymore, right? No. Yeah. No. And it's also only three. I mean, it's it's not like there's a huge list of secrets. So it's it's. I feel it's more fair that that you have to put in some effort to find them because yeah, I like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's kind of cool. Um, yeah. Is there any benefit to finding the secret levels apart from just unlocking extra content? More game, more game. <laughs> yeah, bragging rights. <laughs> you get all the girls. <laughs> I got to the secret level in Descent. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Look at you. Maybe maybe we can talk a little bit about the, um, the background, like how this game came to be and who were involved with developing this game. Yeah. Sure. You're, you're the boss. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, uh, I'm, I, I, I researched this a little bit. Um, turns out... A little bit. This is like three pages in the document. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> But I don't know. Bob got the documents. 
it's it's I, I just wrote down what I found. Um, and what I found was that uh, the, the project was really based around two people, Mike Kulas and Matt Toshlok. Easier first names and harder last names, I would say. <laughs> um, yeah. And these two guys, they, they go way back. They actually met in 1986 when they were working for a game company called Sublogic. And that's actually pretty interesting. I, I didn't uh, expect to find this, but Sublogic, turns out, was the developer of the original Flight Simulator game. Um, they released Flight Simulator for the Apple II in 1980. And then later they licensed it to Microsoft and they renamed it to Microsoft Flight Simulator. And they kept making updates for years, I think. So, yeah, these these guys were or- working on the original Microsoft Flight Simulator software. But were they, if they met working there in 86 and Flight Simulator was released in 80? Nineteen eighty. Yeah, that's the original one, but they kept making new versions all the. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. If, um, yeah. I think Flight Simulator sure. Two, especially that was released in eighty three. That was like the first big one. Uh, was also ported to lots of other systems: uh, Atari, Commodore sixty four, Amiga, Atari ST. Uh, also, a, a one that I haven't heard of. It's called the Tandy Color Computer Three. Um. I've heard of the Tandy Thousand, which is like a basically a DOS PC, but this is—I don't think this is a PC. I think this is some sort of, I don't know, weird console kind of home computer thing. Is it a TRS eighty related product? Maybe. Maybe I don't know. I I don't know what it is. I just I saw it in the list and I thought I'd mention it, but hmm. yeah, it, um, Wikipedia says it's just the third revision of the uh, TRS eighty. Ah, cool. Right. Okay. Cool. Um, they also worked on a game called Jet, um, first released in 85, but there was a massive update in 87, I, re- I read. And the reason why Jet is interesting is that because this is the first game they made for DOS. Um, it's it's basically also a flight simulator. It's, it's slightly easier uh, to get into, I read. It's easier controls and more focused on, you know, jet, jet flying, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I haven't played these, but... Well, they were involved with 3D flying games right from the start. That's clear, right? Yeah, that just has a theme there, it seems. <laughs> exactly. So what happened is that uh, in 1988, um, Matt Toshlock left. And then two years later, in 1990, Mike left as well. And they both joined this company called the Learner Research. And Learner Research, they were... It sounds more fancy, but they were just making games, honestly. Uh, I mean, it sounds like some sort of, I don't know, lab. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, but it's, it was just a game company. And um, they worked on a game called Car and Driver, which is actually a pretty cool 3D racing game. Uh, also released for DOS in 1992, uh, published by Electronic Arts. I guess this is also sort of a precursor to Need for Speed. So, yeah, Car and Driver, it's a cool game. They work both on this, also 3D, like proper 3D. They at least improved the name. Yeah, they did. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the lamest title for it. Car and Driver, okay. <laughs> Need for Speed is much better. <laughs> yeah. Um, they also worked on another 3D flight simulator, because why not, right? So they made a F-22 Interceptor. And then Learner Research, uh, it was founded by this guy called Ned Lerner. 
And he merged with another company founded by Paul Neurath in uh, 1992. And the, the newly merged company was renamed to Looking Glass Technologies. And Looking Glass Technologies is actually quite a notable game studio. And they made games such as Ultima Underworld. They also made System Shock, which is the game that we're, uh, we've played in April. And we're going to do our next podcast on that one. So that's actually pretty cool. And then later on, they made the Thief series as well. So these are all really top-notch games, I'd say. I mean, this is all quality stuff. And I think they were actually involved with Ultima Underworld as well, because I read somewhere that Mike and Matt, they were looking at Ultima Underworld or maybe working on it. And this is when they realized the potential of using textures on polygons. Because until then, like the late 80s and the early 90s as well, they were all using just flat shaded polygons, right? Just colors, basically. Putting textures on 3D polygon uh, objects was sort of a novel thing back then. It's maybe hard to imagine that now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you didn't have the processing power before that. Exactly. Yeah, that was when when they made Hover Tank, uh, when id Software, and then they called Paul Neurath, and then they learned about his texture mapping, and then Carmack was like, we're going to put that in Catacomb 3D. Right. It was like, it sort of started a, um, you know, it was like a, like a domino effect that led towards mm. all those 3D games. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, before then it was just high end workstations and stuff, you know, like Silicon Graphics and, and, uh, you know, those types of big companies where you'd spend $30,000 on one machine. But, uh, yeah, texture mapping was very difficult to do, especially on a 386 and 486, just because of the, you need, you need, in order for it to look good, you have to be able to do division which is slow yeah. even even quake they had to cheat a bit to get it right yeah that's why the walls is so. oh no quake um i don't know by the time they, they got to quake i think texture mapping like they they had some really good um techniques by that by that point yeah the, the thing is to get it perspective correct you have to do some some very heavy maths and so in, in quake they cheated by not doing it all the time but only Occasionally, let's let's sum it up. Yeah, they so, they do it every eight to sixteen pixels because you yeah, could exactly. time the division on the processor uh-huh. to be doing the divide while at the same time the processor is executing the inner loop of interpolating between that that area. So it's actually a really cool trick. Crazy, crazy stuff, just to get a few pixels. In yes. <laughs> <laughs> but this this stuff was kind of revolutionary, right? I mean, this really led to basically all of gaming after because yeah all games are 3d textured games now Um, maybe not all they were right at the dawn of all this well not all games but not all but you know a lot of games all 3d textured games are 3d textured games (laughs) yeah exactly exactly (laughs) (laughs) but but anyway the 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 descent guys they were right at the dawn of all all this stuff so that's uh that's kind of cool so yeah, they worked on Ultima Underworld and they saw the potential of texture mapping and, and all this stuff. And I, I think they were already thinking about making an indoor flight sim because they basically had been working on flight sims for years at this point. But I don't know, for some reason, the texture really made it all come together. So they, they formed like an, uh, a, a more formal, official document lining out what the game would be and yeah they must have felt pretty happy because in june 1993 they both decided to leave looking glass and form their own studio 
called Parallax Software, which is the developer of, of Descent. And yeah, they, they, they started their own studio and decided to pursue their dream, basically work on this game and try to get it out there. Now, at the time, they were not living in the same place. Uh, Matt was living in Boston and Mike was living in a place called Champaign, Illinois, which apparently was a lot cheaper in terms of like cost of living. Uh, so I think, I think the thinking was that, you know, for this new startup, they were saving costs basically to make make their money last for the longest. So Matt actually moved out from Boston and they both moved to this uh, town of Champaign, Illinois. I don't know. I'm not familiar with, I don't know if, if any of the American people here can say anything about this place, but is it is it nice? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I know there's a big university there. The uh, I, have a, I actually have a coworker who, uh, actually maybe a couple of coworkers who got their PhDs there, but uh, huh. the, uh, and, and let's see here, what, what is it? Uh, the University of Illinois, Urbana Champagne, and that's what it is. Okay. Um, I think that's near Chicago. Isn't that near Chicago? You tell me. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I'm trying to no, it's actually it's like center of uh center of Illinois. So it's probably more of a college town, I guess. Right. Right. Yeah. So not a really large city then, I'm imagining. No, but their universities like, you know, that they've got tens of thousands of students. Hmm. So it's a it's a really big university. So Okay. Yeah, I know one of the one of the uh, people who originally worked on like ray tracing fractals and stuff like that. That was where he did his research over there. Hmm. So pretty a lot of cool research happened uh, at the University of Illinois there. Okay, cool. Thanks. I'm only mentioning this because it it turned out relevant later on. Um, and normally, yeah, normally the place where the studio is located isn't that relevant but it sort of becomes relevant in a in a moment uh when they started their company in champagne called parallax uh things were going quite well actually they hired two programmers uh shen huan wang and john slagle they also hired an artist called adam pletcher so it was really like this small team of five people and well they basically put together most of the game um at first they were thinking of calling it minor which is a very mediocre title, probably. <laughs> uh, they must have figured the same thing because then they thought, no, 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 let's name it Inferno. That's cool. Inferno, yeah. <laughs> but in the end, they went with Descent, obviously. So I don't know when this exactly happened, but they went through a, a, a bunch of different titles. I think it was still called Minor when they approached Scott Miller of Apogee because, well, they're... Their thought was really to to share, uh, release this as shareware through Apogee because they were huge at the time, right? They were they had done Wolfenstein and Doom, and yeah, they were just the company for first person shooter shareware titles. And Apogee was actually interested. So for about seven months, um, they invested in the development of Descent and they helped production along and everything, but. I think I think at the time Apogee was just too many projects going on at once, uh, maybe growing too fast or something. I don't know. But eventually they had to decide that Descent was actually too big of a project for him, for them to handle. So they they let them go, and um, yeah, I think probably also because the game wasn't finished, even though at seven months in they they had hoped probably to have have something shippable by then, but they didn't. So 
Anyway, Apogee pulled out and then they were on their own again, which must have been kind of scary, right? I mean, yeah, you had a publisher, a big one, and now all of a sudden you had nothing. Um, so they sent letters to all the publishers in the land, and one of them landed at a desk at Interplay. And Interplay was actually really into this. So they responded quite quickly, and uh, they got signed with Interplay, which was a big deal, because uh, Interplay in the 90s was a big yeah, publisher. They were big. <laughs> uh, they were also a developer. They were founded in 83. We've, we've talked a little bit about them on our Wasteland episode, which is one of their early titles by Brian Fargo, who is also one of the founders of Interplay. Famous probably for developing Fallout now, I would say, which is a game they developed themselves. But they also published games by other people, such as uh, Baldur's Gate, for example, and Descent, of course. Uh, Blackthorn is also a game we featured before, which is published by Interplay. So, uh, But yeah, if you look at the list of Interplay games, it's it's crazy. It's like... Dozens and dozens of really, really cool games. Sorry, uh, this goes back a few <laughs> moments. Um, didn't Apogee also publish Terminal Velocity? Maybe because those games, this game is relatively similar to Descent. Maybe they were afraid that they would publish two two similar games at the same time. Might be. Maybe. I um, I'm not sure when Terminal Velocity was. I, I think it was released after Descent, wasn't it? I'm not so sure. Um, no, maybe not. I don't know. They were both, I think, the same year. Yeah, they're both 95, I think, but let's check. Yeah. March 17 and Terminal mm. Velocity May 1st. Right. So just a few months huh. later. Uh, Terminal Velocity was one of the early um, games when Apogee renamed themselves mm -hmm. to 3D Realms, I think. Yeah, it's, it's already 3D Realms, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the exact history is with that, but it's, it is kind of peculiar that two games with this similar theme came out in the same year. Also using texture mapping, too. Huh. Was, uh, that was a cool game, uh, Terminal Velocity. <laughs> Let's pivot this episode. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, no, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely worth a mention. Um, uh, yeah, and Interplay, they got involved and they basically helped uh, to get the, the, the game shipped. So they, uh, they provided a producer. They... Uh, were able to hire more people. So three additional people were hired, uh, two level designers, and one. One interesting thing is that they hired someone to do both the story writing and the 3D modeling, which seemed like not related jobs, but oh well, there you go. Maybe that explains the depth of the story. <laughs> Maybe it does, yeah. <laughs> uh, Josh White, who, uh, who did both the writing and the 3D modeling. So yeah, props to Josh. Um, I think Interplay also made sure there was music made. I think all the there, there's actually various composers of the music for this game. I think they're all Interplay provided somehow. I don't know, but uh, they weren't really on the team. The composers. Yeah, I think Interplay had like a, a recording, like a studio of their own that they uh, right kind of in-house kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, Interplay was a big deal in the nineties. It was like a one of the big gaming companies out there so yeah um eventually on uh, 24 december 1994 is when they uploaded their first uh, seven level shareware demo to the internet and then a couple of months later in march 1995 the the full game was released with a boxed copy and retail and everything so uh yeah that's that's that um 
And they immediately moved on to, to develop a sequel because we mentioned this at the start, but the sequel was already developed one year later or, or released one year later, I should say. Although I think it pretty much uses the same core technology. I mean, it's it's improved in some ways, but it's also the same in a lot of other ways, right? It's a lot more optimized. Yeah, it's definitely way more polished than, than the original Descent. And probably Descent 2 is probably the slightly more popular version after after a while, especially for multiplayer. I definitely prefer Descent 2. Yeah, from what I've heard, it's it's just a better game, isn't it? It's like Descent 1 is a really cool tech demo, but Descent 2, that's a really good game. Just Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think Descent, Descent 2 also had much like more var- varied levels mm. i think like it, it varied the, the design a lot like you could they they weren't as, as similar with the kind of keys and whatnot having <laughs> having to fi- find the keys in order and right that less basic yeah yeah it was also descent 2 was the first one to support the 3d 3d accelerated cards i believe i don't think descent 1 supported those so yeah mm. oh yeah yeah those were huge also in the mid 90s that's yeah, it was all the craze. Um, but anyway, what I wanted to say about the the sequel and developing the sequel is that um, what I mentioned at the start, uh, when Matt had to move from Boston to Champagne, he wasn't too happy about it. I think I think he wanted to. I don't know. I don't know what he had against Champagne, but I imagine it was too small or too remote or I don't know. But anyway, he was unhappy with the whole Champagne situation, so he decided to move to a place in Michigan called Ann Arbor. I've never been there. I have no idea. But you guys probably... It's its probably a larger town, isn't it? Larger city. I think it is. They they kind of had their own little uh, like PC revolution um, there. I wasn't in software up there for a little while, too. Hmm. Uh, for, for a little while, it was kind of a hotspot for um, computer uh, software development and stuff. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, more like a sort of gaming Silicon Valley type of situation. Yeah, something like that. So anyway, they had this idea, maybe we can open a second office, right? I mean, we have this game out now and we're making money and things are going well. So let's open a second office in Ann Arbor and then Matt can move there, be happy. Mike stayed in Champaign. He's happy there. Everything is good. And that's how they developed uh, the sequel. But then actually they they found out that this is not a really good way to develop a game at all and they weren't happy with this separate workflow and, and two teams sort of started to emerge where they were more competing against each other than working together. So yeah, there was the, the Ann Arbor team and the Champagne team and they weren't agreeing on things and well, you can already kind of sense where this is going. So in the end, after the release of Descent 2, they decided to split up the company at all. Just just finalize the split and just move each their own separate ways. So in November 1996, Parallax was renamed to Volition. And they are still around, aren't they? And in fact, Mike Koulos is still the general manager of, uh, the, of the Volition studio. And they went on to make uh, more Descent games. They made Free Space, for example. But they also made Red Faction. They made Saints Row. So, yeah, those are kind of big games, right? I read that in 2000, they were acquired by THQ. But that didn't really stop them from continuing to make games at all. And in 2013, they were 
acquired again by some Austrian company called Deep Silver. I am not that familiar with those guys, but I think they're still around and and doing okay. So, uh, I mean, Mike directed and programmed the Overload game that was released in 2018, it seems. Right. The new Descent. (laughs) It's ironically unofficial Descent. uh, Yeah. Because the other one, it's kind of... Hopefully it'll come back, but probably won't. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Overload, I'm more than satisfied with that. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it's a really cool game. Yeah, Overload's pretty nice. It's, it's an awesome game. I think they're both involved with that, weren't they? Yeah. Both Mike and Matt were involved with that. Everybody. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So yeah. that's nice. It's nice to see them back and making Descent again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, the, the the volition part, they 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 are still around, and Mike is is doing all right. Um, I'm not exactly sure what happened to Matt though. Matt Toshlog, he named his part uh, of the company in Michigan. He named it Outrage Entertainment, and they were actually the ones developing Descent Three. So that's yeah, the third sequel to Descent. But that game did really poorly. Um, it wasn't received well, it didn't get really good reviews, and it didn't make a lot of sales either. So, yeah, that game was a bit of a flop. Um, and in the end, they were purchased by THQ as well, but then they were uh, shut down in 2004. Although, weirdly, they also worked on a port of Red Faction, which is a game developed by <laughs> Volition, the other part of their former so that's I don't know if that's a coincidence or maybe they were still in touch or but one short thing I would like to mention um, I've just checked the um, Wikipedia page for Descent Three and it actually got pretty good reviews oh so they're all there in the eighties and nineties range yeah so. it's not a bad game yeah. it, I actually it's one of my one of my favorites yeah too. just didn't sell very well actually <laughs> that's that's true I probably because people remember getting sick with Descent 1 and Descent 2. Just uh, hmm. it's harder to play because of the three, the six degrees of freedom. But it is a lot more story. It's, it's got a nice story. and uh, But I think it was too different from the previous hmm. ones. You know, music was completely different. Uh, the feel of the game was completely different. It was a lot more, yeah. like, explorer exploration-based than... Like, I mean... It, it, it was like, as in, you don't search for keys, you search for like ways to like open a door mm. here and there. And okay, it's just like a, I don't know how it just felt different. The gameplay somehow, yeah, it had weird physics too, like different physics. But I, I, I had fun with it. I, mm. it's not a bad game. I wonder why, why it didn't sell well then. Yeah, I guess because it was just too different, or maybe it was just descent overload. I mean, they made three games in a span of like three years so yeah these are these are two already did really well so i don't think people wanted more like people didn't need another game of them. Mm, yeah maybe really i've noticed that it's really hard to get running on a computer that might have been a problem like it's you have to have like a 3d effects card or else it will have glitches and stuff mm. I, I just read that that some um journalists um theorized that the genre was just not popular anymore like first-person shooters, six degrees of freedom. First-person shooters. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even even flight simulators were starting to like be in strong decline as well. People just mm. weren't into that type of game anymore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Although I, I will blame Descent Three for my uh, synthesizer collection that you saw earlier. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> really. The, the Jerry Berlangeri was the uh, composer for Descent Three, and and it's like it's just 
really crazy, weird techno music. And, uh, you know, some music just hits you at the right age and then it's with you for the rest of your life. And that's that's what Descent 3 and Descent 2 and Descent 1 did for me. Ah, (laughs) Awesome. Maybe now that we're talking about the music, maybe we can just listen to some because I'm I'm kind of into it. I mean, uh, sure. I think it's maybe interesting to mention that in the original Descent, all the music is MIDI, right? It's all playing through your either your OPL Sound Blaster FM synthesizer, which most computers had, mm-hmm. or it can also play through external MIDI module boxes, stuff like that. Yeah, which is kind of interesting. Um, when I played the game, I actually thought it was mod music because I think they made a very good job with the instruments there. Yeah, they did. Definitely. It definitely sounds good. Yeah. But do, do shall we listen at some example on the Opel 3? Sure. Yep. The LPL3 is my favorite version. Yeah, I think that's and pretty cool. <laughs> definitely the vibe, vibe is there. Definitely, yeah, sounds good. Yeah, I think this is probably how most people listen to it, right? Yeah, fun thing is I, I own the um, CD version, the um, German CD version, and there's like five megabytes on the CD. <laughs> <laughs> it's a to- total waste of plastic. <laughs> nice. Oh, there is there is uh, CD music yes, is. made for this, although not for the DOS board, right? But for other versions, I think there is CD music. Ah. Descent Two has a Red Book soundtrack. Yeah, mm. the the yeah, and the PlayStation they had the CD, which I think is the best one. Uh, but I really like the uh, OPL three version too, just because I had that gar- that graphics. I mean, that audio card when I was. I was younger, but yeah, um, like everybody. Yeah, has. but the, the PlayStation. If you, you haven't listened to the 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 Descent One versions, you know, they're definitely the best the best ones. Mm. I have the PlayStation version. I might check that out. Yeah, the they they are really amazing. I um, I also sent you a version played through a Roland sa- sound canvas, uh, Florian. Uh huh. And that's yeah. actually recorded by a guy named Brandon Bloom, um, who is a composer for games. But one of the things he does is um, he records uh, sound canvas and other devices. Um, well, f- basically for people who don't have these uh, MIDI modules, he records complete soundtracks for games. And for example, if you use uh, DX Rebirth, you can import these recordings uh, and then use that as music. Hmm. So you can make it sound like you have a sound canvas fi- a 55, even if you don't have one. That's cool. So, so I thought that's just nice to mention that. Yeah, let's let's take a listen to that. I've never I've never heard that before, so it's gonna be something new.
Oh, pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, I think Jonathan just shared the PlayStation One soundtrack. Yeah, let's let's see. I'm not sure if I set up the um, my audio stuff correctly. Let's see if you can hear it. Hmm. I'll be honest, I pretty much prefer the, the PC versions. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is an entirely different style, isn't it? Uh, it's it's way more intense. It's it's d- different. Yeah, it's super <laughs> 90s. It's basically land party music. It's just, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's really cool. They're 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 almost so different from each other that like I mean I enjoy the I, I think I like that my preference is the FM sound. It's pretty I like the mm. FM sound. But then I I also go back to the PlayStation One or you know the Red Book audio and that that's also you know but it's one of those things where music gets you at certain ages and you know you look back this now and nobody would take you seriously I think to, to some degree <laughs> you're like okay dad that's <laughs> I understand that yeah yeah but it still sounds cool I don't know I, yeah I mean the PS PS soundtracks I think they sound more like proper music rela- releases uh, because well there's they are cd audio mm. so they are more produced in that sense yeah where the dust games and whatnot usually use sound chips and midi so obviously the sound isn't like the quality is different yeah it's made in in an entirely different way it's just not really comparable at all yeah yeah, and even Descent Two soundtrack, I don't really prefer. I don't like it as much as I do Descent Ones, but it is like really, it's it's not bad. It's pretty cool. Hmm. Yeah, Descent Two suffers from the from the fact that they only recorded, I think, five yeah. uh, tracks for the MIDI, and so you, it really is just repetitive. Hmm. But Descent One, you have you know almost two dozen tracks. Yeah. So every level feels like it's different, and so. Um, and some of them are kind of lame. I'll admit some some of the mini ones sound a little lame. Uh, like those obviously get recorded at the last minute. It's like we just need filler. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there are a few that are like real gems. I think for just DOS games in general. Yeah, one thing I noticed was that um, Descent One had a wide variety of songs, but in like the last five levels, they started reusing like the first five level songs. <laughs> That's a bit cheap. Yeah, yeah. but it uh, was like. Up until then, it had a nice variety, much more than Descent 2 had. And it's one thing I like more about Descent 1 than Descent 2 is the soundtrack. Right. Yeah, it's probably they figured, well, we we have to make sure the first seven are really good because those are for luring in people <laughs> into buying it. Once once people have bought it, you know, whatever, just toss anything in there. Just Unless, of course, you want to sell a sequel later on. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean, the, the music is cool, um, but I feel that really this game is all about the graphics, isn't it? I mean, 
the music serves its purpose and it's there for atmosphere and everything. But I think the game is really sold through the screenshots and through just the way it looks and the, the technology behind it all. That's really the star of the show, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Which is a bit surprising. Um, you know, I just mentioned I have the um, German big box release and there's hardly any art of the game anywhere on the box or in the box. What? There are two, ti- there are two tiny screenshots on the back. And the remaining box art has nothing to do with the game at all. That's bizarre. <laughs> first, first three D shooter, no screenshots. No, no. There's, there's, there's like, 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 uh, like a canyon landscape with clouds above, and and there's a lightning, and most of the box is just black, with the title "Descent" in nice word art. There's a red swirl. <laughs> Uh, with some text, it's 360 degrees action, 3,000 miles per hour excitement, 300 feet underground. Cool. And that's the box, basically. Yeah. That's so It's a bit 80s, right? Yeah. So that's nothing to do with the game. <laughs> that's bizarre. Because the game, the, the visuals, the graphics, they are interesting, aren't they? I mean, in more ways than one, really. I think this is the first or definitely one of the first real 3D shooters with textured polygons and everything and real 3D levels mm-hmm. and enemies too as well. I think the, 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 the graphics are kind of a milestone, but uh, I mean, Quake came a la- year later and it lifted some of the heavy restrictions that Descent has in its engine. Like we mentioned before, there's a technical reason why it's all, why it's all in um, narrow tunnels and corridors. So basically, the the more complex geometry you have in the level, um, it it really goes goes out of hand with the complexity or with the uh, performance required to render the scene. Right. While Quake uses a different approach that is much more forgiving for smaller details in the level. Right. But that came a year later. Right. So, yeah. But it is probably also why everybody talks about. Quake, and I think most people have played Quake. Everybody talks about Descent, but not so many people have actually played Descent as they as as Quake. I feel. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I've noticed that too. It's definitely not that not as popular as Quake among like retro gaming conversations. Yeah, though I, I think everybody I talk to has at least heard about the game. So it's it's not that it's unknown. Yeah, yeah. This Descent is definitely not an obscure game, I would think. But I think for some, Descent is almost a game for nerds, mm. <laughs> like. Uh, because of the flight simulator aspect to it, yeah. which is kind mm-hmm. of funny. Yeah, everyone I talk to about the game tells me that they either got dizzy from it or that which... they couldn't control it properly. Oh, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. The controls are... You get a bit confused with that. Uh, but what also plays into the um, graphics and the flight simulator aspect, um, when I uh, just started the game with with a command line flag for help, it says that there are actually there's support for various virtual reality headsets. Oh. Has anyone ever seen that? Uh, I don't think many many games of the time did that. No, I, I I don't even know what virtual reality headsets were available in the 90s. Although I do remember that Descent came bundled with a lot of graphics cards. So I've heard about that. Maybe yeah. it came bundled with VR headsets as well. Oh, well, this is a, this is a DOS uh, version I'm talking about that allows you to run it in a VR headset mode. Hmm. Huh. It's interesting, right? Cool, interesting. Probably you needed an even better PC for that. (laughs) Probably, yeah. I see here in the notes that later there was a a Super VGA mode added as well, supporting up to 640 by 480. I I read they added that for um, one of the DOS versions, but for some reason it broke the the HUD because they were never high resolution, or well, high resolution in the quotes. (laughs) Uh, um, Yeah, graphics made for that. So when you played the original 
in that video mode, you just didn't get any HUD. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> the 3D effects version, um, like it doesn't have the HUD at all. Wow. It's just not available in that version because it's locked at 640 by 480. And is the game still playable? Oh, oh yeah. The game is pretty playable. Um, although it, sometimes it is nice to turn off the HUD so you can have the full screen dedicated 3D graphics. That's how I play um, it. Right. Yeah. I mean, the HUD is nice, but I think... Um, I don't know if they use it as a limit, a way of artificially limiting how much screen that they have to update for graphics. Hmm. Yeah, the old trick. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's definitely, yeah. We've, we've played lots of games where there was like a big sidebar or a big, you know, title above the screen. That's all just there to make it run better on a uh-huh. limited CPU power stuff. Yeah. It, it didn't support um, scaling down the screen size, though, did, did it? Like um, Wolfenstein or Doom did, or even I think even Quake did that, uh, right? No, but I think there are uh, details which you can set. Oh, right, um, yeah, yeah. So you can limit the details, which is one way to make it run on lower-spec'd machines, which, well, it became really common after, but there weren't that many games before that did that have that. I think it was more common in 3D games just in general. Yeah, it's also easier to implement there, I think. Yeah, so... If you if you have a pure 2D game, then what details are you going to, to, to scrap? <laughs> exactly, exactly so, yeah. Yeah, it became more popular with... Uh, yeah, as 3D games became more popular to have these options. So, and, and Jonathan already mentioned the colored lights in the PlayStation version which aren't even in the 3D effects version, right? So No, because they use lookup tables for, for the... Because uh, you know, everything's 256 colors on the PC. So they, they use lookup tables to determine, okay, if this is this bright, <laughs> then this is what this texture will be. That, so it's just a, how much light does it have? Whereas the PlayStation, oh. they can actually say, well, this is a green missile flying down the hallway. So they can light everything of green light as it goes down. Right. And probably the PlayStation has a chip for handling all this. Yeah, it's one of basically you can draw colored texture triangles on the PlayStation, so that made it probably trivial. Because whereas on the PC, basically you're drawing technically white triangles Mm. that are texture mapped. Right. So there's no color modulation. That's fascinating. Though the 3D fix cards could do that as well. I wonder why they didn't add it. Probably. Probably because they had a different team port to the PlayStation. And porting to the 3DFX was, you know, let's just update the PC code to do it. Yeah. yeah that's that my, sense. that that would be my guess. That yeah, makes, makes, that makes sense. sense. Totally. Um, speaking of ports, maybe, maybe we can dive into the, all the different ports and expansions and sequels and all the, the things that it spawned. Because it's, it's quite a list. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't just the one game, was it? First of all, the original Descent, uh, released for DOS, but later that year, 1995, it was ported to the Macintosh. And then uh, a year later, in 96, it was ported to the PlayStation. We talked about that version already. I also came across a really odd port, at least to me. In 1998, it was ported to the Acorn Archimedes. Archimedes. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Archimedes. Archimedes. what is this even? I have never, <laughs> I've never heard of this system. I, is it some kind of console or a home computer? No, it's a, it's a, I think it's a home computer. Yeah. Um, it isn't it like the successor of the um, BBC Micro? Yep. Just into the more modern architectures, like um, Acorn. They are the 
the people who made the ARM architecture, which now runs every mobile phone on the planet. Mm. Oh, so it's so. see, it's, it's descent for iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> that needs to happen. Well, maybe maybe it would be actually easy to port the code. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a, a relatively old system, isn't it? I guess new models came out in the nineties. Although it was also discontinued in the mid-90s. So I don't know why in 1998 they decided to port it to this system. I don't know. Well, uh, it's the Archimedes 3000, I think, right? So I guess that one came out a bit later. I don't know. Just seemed an old old system in the list. Maybe maybe it was more popular in the UK. Maybe. I don't know. We don't have any any British people on the show today. No, no. no. (laughs) They might know better. Maybe. Um... Speaking of old systems, it was also planned to be released on the Panasonic M2, also a system that I I don't think the M2 ever eventually came out, but it was supposed to be a console by Panasonic, and it had something to do with 3DO as well. So I don't know if it's like a successor to the 3DO or, well, I think the whole thing was a bit of a disaster to be uh, to be honest um and and eventually the whole system never came out so it says the technology was incorporated into other devices though right exactly um but yeah obvi- well, obviously descent never came out because the whole panasonic m2 never came out um descent also never came out for the sega 30x for the 3do for the sega saturn for the nintendo 64 there were plans for all these platforms but for one reason or another, it never happened or it fell through or I don't know. So only officially ported to the Mac and the PlayStation and and the Acorn Archimedes. So <laughs> there you go. That's almost the, the life story of Descent. It's like, it's going to come out for the PlayStation 3. Nope, it's going to come out for... <laughs> <laughs> you can name all these systems it was supposed to come out for and uh, nope, never happened. <laughs> but maybe it, the engine was difficult to port or I don't know. Uh, no, I think it was more business planning. Like, right. they, they, all these companies start going out of business, you know. Mm. <laughs> the, they just yeah. weren't able to pull it off. Of, you know, it was supposed to come out for the... I remember it was, I was excited. It was supposed to come out for the Nintendo... Um, uh, three, uh, what's it? The, not the 3DS. The 64. The, the, well, the, the, not the, just the Nintendo 64, but they were going to do a port for the... The GameCube? Uh, the, game <laughs> no. oh, the 3DS? Which one? <laughs> The Wii oh. it was supposed to come out for the Wii, really, and then it never did. Ah, uh, yes, would have been interesting to play it with the sticks. It would have been interesting, yeah. But yeah, it's like life, like story of the life of descent. It's like it's going to come out for this one, you know. Yeah, uh, but I think it was Interplay <laughs> mismanaged it, mm. and they they were going to bring it out for these consoles, and then Interplay has went bankrupt. I feel like several times. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's sad, but yeah, yeah. What can you do? Yeah. Oh, but oh, uh, speaking of interplay, though, that there there was an inch that they used the engine for Descent for another game called Descent to Undermountain, which was a RPG. Oh wow! And it's not really worth playing. It's pretty terrible, actually. <laughs> okay. But I, I will note that you know they they used the the uh, Descent one engine for that. Bizarre. So does yeah, it also have bizarre. the the six degrees of freedom? Um, not quite as much. Hmm. But it has a it has a similar look uh, to the Descent game, but just RPG based. But the RPG just is terrible. Oh. <laughs> oh, <well. laughs> they released a massive amount of games uh, after Descent One came out. Uh, first of all, 
they came out with, uh, well, I want to say two expansions, but, well, that's really maybe stretching it a, a bit because the first expansion is called Levels of the World. And it's actually uh, Interplay organized a competition where people could submit their own levels and they just packed all the entries onto a disc and sold it as a expansion. So if you buy Levels of the World, that's you a, get... That's a good business model. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you get 100 levels made by various people and there's only one level that's actually by Parallax. So... It's yeah. a competition to find the parallax level. Then. That's <laughs> some, some expansion. And then they decided to, in the same year, 1996, so only one year after the original came out, they uh, decided to repackage it as the Descent Anniversary Edition. And it's basically just all the, the user-submitted levels from the previous expansion and then also a bunch of additional levels. So, yeah. It's like Descent with a massive amount of levels. That's that's the anniversary edition. Um, but also in 1996, they just released the sequel, uh, Descent 2, for DOS, for Mac, for PlayStation, also for the Acorn again. Uh, so it, it, it seems that between 1995 and 1996, well, they showered the world in Descent, didn't they? There was just... Yeah. Tons of stuff. And there was also um, the expansion pack for Descent 2 called Vertigo, and I played that one, and it's excellent. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. Was it released soon after Descent 2 came out? Um, I'm not sure when it was released. Uh, let me look it up. It's probably like really soon, though. I can I would imagine it would be like in the same year. Right. Um, but it was really good. I played it, and... Well, I'm, I can't find when it came out, no, I guess. it's okay. But it doesn't matter. It was, just, yeah. it was done by the original team, I think. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. But they were really productive in those first years. I mean, just releasing tons and tons of stuff. <laughs> really amazing. After 96, the, the whole split happened with Mike and Matt splitting ways and each having their own company. So actually, I guess you could say there are two sequels from this point. I mean, there's Descent Free Space, which was developed by Mike Kules' company, Volition. But there was also Descent 3, which was released by Matt Toshlock's Outrage Entertainment. So, Is Free Space actually related to the actual Descent, or are they just using the brand name to sell more copies of it? Good question. It's a very different game. It's like out in space rather than in mines. It's more like TIE Fighter and Wing Commander than it is like Descent, I think. I mean, is it is it related story-wise? Is it the same universe or? Oh, um, I don't know. It's a good question. Uh, Elias says he has to go. Oh, wait a second. I'll, I have a, someone's at the door. So Bye, Elias. Bye. Bye, Elias. Bye, Elias. Um, so yeah, free space is really a very different beast. And Descent 3 is maybe continuing the original Descent a bit more, although that is also a really different beast. So, <laughs> yeah. Are Descent 1 and 2 the only two original Descents? And then after that, they didn't really know what to do next, and they went in different directions. And Sounds about right. Yeah. Well, definitely definitely the only DOS ones, uh, although Descent 3 is is definitely a sequel of the, yeah. the same, continuing the same storyline. Right. 
uh, the Sentry is was released in 1999, so that that doesn't run in DOS. Of course, it's a Windows game. Yeah. Now, someone, uh, I hope someone can help me with this one because it's written down in the notes document. There's a thing called Descent Underground. I have no idea what that even is. So, what's Descent Underground? It's available on GOG. It's not available. I mean, it's it's it, it's got the little site there. And it's like last year it said it was coming out December 31st, 2019. Hmm. And now it's coming out December 31st this year. And what I think is happening is that it's just not going to come out. <laughs> uh, okay. So is it is it like an official sequel or what is it? Yeah, It, it was going to be the official sequel. Interplay licensed the uh, Descent trademarks to the company developing it. Right. But there's there's some issues with... That there's a there's a lawsuit going on right now. So mm. hopefully, I mean, we could get lucky and they could resolve the lawsuit and bring it out. But um, I, who knows at this point? But Interplay pulled the license because they weren't sure that it was going to actually happen. So mm. they'd have to renegotiate with um, with Interplay to get the license back. Right. Uh, but it's also a competition with Overload. Which yeah. actually has the original developers, uh, Mike Kulish, Matt Tashlog, working, and it's a release game. It's it's, it's you know, and it's pretty yeah. popular. It exists. It exists. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a big a big up for for them for yes. existing. I actually yeah. <laughs> I actually have Descent Underground because I had pre ordered it on Steam and they haven't taken it away from me. So I guess that's good. Huh. But it's been a while since I played it. But uh, there, it's you know, beta game. Right. But Overload isn't a beta game. That's just a proper... I, I guess this is the real sequel, isn't it? That's what I consider. I consider Overload the actual Descent 4. Right. The spiritual successor. Yeah. So so what happened with Overload? I mean, what's what's the, when when was this released? Was, was it a crowdfunding thing or what happened? 1990... Uh, no, sorry. 2018? Is when it officially came out. Yes, okay. that was yeah. the release, and it's still going strong. Um, but they did, uh, I think they did use crowd um, funding for some of it. Yeah, that seems a, a popular way to get old games going again, right? Yeah, old series. I mean, so you you've both played Overload. I haven't beaten it, but I've played like. I'm like seven levels in. I I actually stopped playing just so that I could go back and play the classic descent games right because <laughs> i i played the second when i was like four mm. you know on, on my old 486 but i never really like properly played it and it was just last year or 2018 overload came out and i was like all right i'm gonna play descent one and two properly and then overload right but it's yeah. been it's been excellent so far cool um, it says here on wikipedia that it also supports uh, virtual reality headsets like the oculus rift so that seems nauseating. <laughs> yeah, I bet it would be. Yeah, <laughs> but pretty cool. It looks really excellent, judging from the screenshots and the videos. So it's great, yeah. And it's got the same gameplay with the with the mine tunnels and stuff like that. Yeah, the controls. If if you like, if you're familiar with Descent, you could just jump into this game straight in, and it will be no different. It feels just like yeah. Descent. Cool. Yeah, and and they're and they're going based off the Descent Two experience, right? So, uh, you know, knowing the Descent Three is a bit different. So, if you want to get the modern flavor of this, then uh, the overloads the way to go. Cool. 
that's a good tip. Yeah. And I guess the the other way to go about this is to use DX Rebirth, right? Yep. Yes. Excellent port. And it supports both Descent 1 and 2, I think. Uh-huh. Um, and that's this is what a lot of DOS Game Club people also used for playing, which is, I guess, the sensible choice on a modern system. Yeah, uh, it makes it, it works yeah. absolutely great. Um, even even just building it from source yourself on as you have to do on Linux just works easily. It's like it's it's super easy to do. Okay, but what you need is you need the original game right. that you can get from whatever means like like GOG, Steam, CD release, uh, right? Less less official means. <laughs> you import the assets and stuff. Yeah, yeah, we've seen this before with other games. In a similar way, haven't we? Yeah, and it adds those things that have been mentioned before, like um, dynamic lighting, and it, it really adds to the game. I think hmm. so. It's it's done in a in a tasteful manner. Okay. <laughs> Unlike some of the Doom ports that we discussed, that I didn't, or many people didn't really like because they stray too far from the original. Yeah, there's a lot of those. Yeah, there's always a bit of tension between having the authentic experience, but then also adding nice things, and yeah. Uh huh. Oh, well, I guess I guess if you want the actual uh, authentic experience, you can always just play the original in DOSBox or something. Yeah, like that. that that works perfectly fine as well. Yeah, that's what I did anyway. Uh, or of course, on an actual old system. I mean, uh, multiple people in the club have have these old systems laying around for some reason. I can't <laughs> understand this, <laughs> but you guys seem to be into it. I've got some. So, yeah, <laughs> but that's of course cool too. Yeah, there's a lot out there. Modern stuff, old stuff, ports, sequels. Uh, they spawn the whole thing. And and maybe now with Overload, it's sort of revived, right? There's probably new fans coming into the genre and who knows? Yeah, um, there's this, like a speedrunning community behind it. Nice. One more piece of trivia, maybe. Yeah. Um, apparently, there's also a novel series by Peter Taleb. That is based on Descent. So if you're a real Descent fan, wow, there's something more for you to dive into. That's nice. And that's like stories from the mines or what? what is this? <laughs> I have no idea. Hmm. I just, just read about it. Okay. Like, I mean, nowadays it's it's more or less, uh, I would say, almost normal that you get some additional stuff like like novels. There are like Mass Effect novels and stuff like that. Mm. And I, I guess like a, like a million Warcraft stories. And Yeah. But I think back then it was it was not so common yet. Doom has a few. Oh yeah, right. I I can't imagine what these novels are about. Are are they about actually <laughs> stuff that's related to the game, or is it completely outside? Because, I mean, the games are just go into the mine, destroy the reactor, get out there. I mean, that's not that that's not much of a novel, is it? <laughs> I, yeah. So it has to be. You know about the corporation behind it, I suppose. I can't find many additional or much additional info on it right now. But I think mm. they came out in the late nineties, I guess. Yeah, it's, it says ninety nine. All three 19. novels were released ah, in ninety three. Right. Uh, ninety nine, sorry. Okay. So. okay, so that's <laughs> coinciding with the third game, more or less. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um. Uh, I think we already mentioned that the game is available on both GOG and Steam. Uh, so that's that's an easy way to get it. Um, I'm guessing it's also not that hard to get it on eBay. No, so it's it's surprisingly... Uh, it's, it's, it's not very expensive, surprisingly. Huh. So I got both games combined for like like 40 euros, which is, which is a, a, the lower range of price that you can pay for those more well-known 
Hmm. Big box games. Yeah, I got the big box of Descent 2 with every single thing in it just for like $20. It was I was really surprised. Nice. Yeah. Okay. It's it's definitely one that you can collect even if you're on a lower budget. Yeah. That's cool. Um yeah, the contemporary review section in our document is empty, so yeah, that's, I don't that's know. Because we what we we always just go to uh, Moby Games and read what's going on there. Right. So, um <laughs> unsurprisingly, most of the reviews um Turn out to be like eighty to one hundred percent. So most most magazines back in the day really loved it. Yeah, um, it doesn't really go very low. Like the lowest score that I can find is um, is sixty percent. Oh. But there are two in the language that I don't understand. One is Polish, the other seems to be, I guess, Swedish. And there's, there's one one mm. one German review, but that's from from a few years later, like uh, ninety seven. So that they say it's it's a it's a classic already. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah. Everything, everything that was that came out in in the day was at least seventy percent or more. And if they have any complaints, then it's usually that it uh, requires mm. a really beefy computer to run it, or that it's very um, confusing, yeah. as we mentioned a few times. And one thing that that at least one review mentioned was that uh, the gameplay becomes very repetitive after a while. Yeah. So it's always the same: go in, destroy robots, destroy reactor, leave. So yeah. That's that's the only complaints they had, but. Usually they say it's a great game and you should buy it. Uh, I see that those Game Club member Richard uh, picks on the forums, scanned in one of his UK magazines. I think this is, which one is this? PC Review. They gave it a nine, which is really high. They say it's just as good as Doom. And yeah, they're really into it. I think this is probably most most reviews were really really good for this one i'm seeing one here this is pc zone giving it 94 out of 100 this is a diamond mine they say <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i think the reviews for this one were just through the roof and oh and actually the pc zone one also mentions that you can use your cybermax vr set so in case you have one of those <laughs> lying around as everybody has <laughs> <laughs> yeah, judging from those reviews, I guess if if Quake hadn't come out the next year, I guess we would all be playing um, Six Degrees of Freedom shooters nowadays and not Quake Legs. Yeah, maybe. It's it's kind of odd, isn't it, that this genre is basically just Descent and very little other games. Yeah, I, I saw... Uh, Forsaken. Like, like, Forsaken, yeah. That's mm. the same. But other than that, there's really not much I can think of. Is Terminal Velocity Six Degrees of Freedom? No, I think it's four. Oh. If I'm not mistaken. Like a, like it's a proper flat sim ah. uh, physics, I think. You can't rotate in that game. You can. Uh, mm. It's a lot like Star Fox, a little oh, bit. Right. I see. Yeah, it actually reminded me of Star Fox. The the graphics kind of sixty four. Hmm. So so why isn't this genre more popular? I think probably because of the reason that we already mentioned. It's it can be quite confusing, and you need need a lot of time to get used to it. I think. Hmm. And I guess many people don't really want to put in that much time to get used to just playing the basics of the game. Maybe something like that. Yeah. But then again, Descent is is kind of cool, especially Descent 2. So, I mean, it's kind of odd that there is definitely something to this genre, but then it doesn't seem to be explored very much. Yeah. Yeah. You you, you need definitely need lots of, of keys on your keyboard hand and a good mouse played you also need to get a good so. feel of where the keys are so without having to look mm-hmm. at them hmm. i think getting the fill right from the developer's standpoint is also an issue it's 
it's harder to tweak a flight simulator to feel good as as compo- uh, opposed to a, a normal first-person shooter where the, the controls just have to be fairly quick. But you know, you're trying to well balance. You're trying to balance a, a really complicated control scheme. Right. Maybe that's it. But that said, would you still recommend this game to people who are new to it or maybe, yeah, haven't played it before? Well, uh, there's still this this massive issue of the difficulty curve, at least in the Send 1. I never really played the Send 2, so I can't judge that one. But uh, I guess if you want to play the Send, get the shareware version, which you can download for free still from many, many places, and try that one. And if you do like the last level, get the um, full version, I guess. Yeah, or or uh, the the new one, right? The um, Overload. Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh. Definitely. I think the difficulty uh, in Descent 2 is a little more fair than in Descent 1, but Descent 2 is still an unbelievably difficult game. But I would highly recommend either of them to anyone who likes first-person shooters because they're really solid first-person shooters. And I guess they're also interesting for people who are interested in the technology aspect, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. So if you just want to see what early texture map 3D games look like, yeah, check this out. Because this is sort of right there at the dawn of the yeah this whole technology. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yep. Right. Okay. Uh, I guess that's Descent then. Mm-hmm. Unless anyone has anything to add. I think we've mentioned... Well, a lot, that's for sure. So, uh, yeah, that's it, I guess. Let's just uh, wrap up quickly then, Florian. Yep. So, um, the next episode, you mentioned before, um, will be about System Shark. We've actually already started scheduling it. So, uh, hopefully with this one, we may catch up with our schedule again. <laughs> uh, yeah. Don't, don't, don't put too much money uh, on that bet though so, um, <laughs> well, we're, we're trying we're trying yeah we're, we're trying our best um right now it's pinball month so we're playing lots and lots of pinball games in june we're going to play our very first text adventure gateway and mm-hmm. uh, we just picked the next game for july which will be jill of the jungle classic platformer classic platformer yeah, yeah. all great games yeah so, yeah, that's that's what's coming up. Um, if you're into this DOS stuff, maybe check out our website over on dosgameclub.com. Uh, you can post on the forums, discuss all the games, suggest games as well, as uh, Jonathan did for this one. Um, you can also chat with us on IRC. We have a room uh, on Afternet. And if you're not into all this IRC stuff, you can also join through uh, Widget on our website, which jumps you right into the in the, into the room so that's one way to engage with us um another is through twitter where we're called dos game club as well uh we post new episodes there we uh, do polls occasionally um other dos stuff that is happening in the world of dos <laughs> uh, exciting world of dos <laughs> yes there are lots of things happening in the world of dos people uh so yeah you can follow us over there and last but not least if you like this and you're listening to this in a podcasting app then leave a review or a rating and yeah we just really enjoy hearing your feedback and your thoughts and it helps to share the show to other people Speaking of feedback and thoughts, um, you said already this is the last thing you'd said, but then let me add something else. Um, for all the games that we discussed, we would really love to get more voice messages. So if you have a, an yes. opinion on the game that we're playing, 
uh, just send us the message and so we can discuss it in the show and talk about it and hear your voice, not only ours. Definitely, definitely. So if you have a voice message you would like to send, you can do that through uh, email. It's club at dosgameclub.com. Just attach your voice message and we'll play it on the show. So, yeah. Yep. Um, that's it for, for us, I think. Uh, thanks a lot for listening. And, and thank you guys for joining and discussing this game with us. Yep. Thanks a lot. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you very much. See you next time. See ya. Bye. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Just, 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 just.